1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Roto-World Football Show, where it is Monday, June 26th, 2023, and today Denny Carter and I will be beginning our annual team preview series with the AFC South. We're extremely pleased to be welcoming in Jaguar reports, John Shipley and the Indianapolis Stars, Nate Atkins, just a little later in the show. John, around the 20-minute mark. Nate, around the 40-minute mark. They're going to tell us all we need to know about... I would say probably the two most interesting teams. And what is frankly, I mean, no offense to John, no offense to Nate, no offense to the Southern United States, the least interesting division (laughs) in the National Football League in the AFC South. And I say that, but there are interesting storylines with every team where Calvin Ridley, or excuse me, the Jaguars have Calvin Ridley joining what was a really set target tree last year. That's a huge wild card for both real-life football and fantasy this year. We're going to ask John about that. Nate, we're going to ask, you know, just how the heck do they plan to deploy Anthony Richardson, the number four overall pick who has all the tools and talent in the world, but, you know, enters the league with a lot less experience than you usually see out of a top five pick. He's going to give us the lowdown on that. And we're going to start with the, the Texans and the Titans who, uh, you know, they're there.
2: They, they, they exist. And by the way, Pat, I, the, the, the Zoomers online would say the following about you calling the AFC South the least interesting division in the NFL. The NFC, uh, shoot, the NFC South would like a word. They would like a word because they are extremely uninteresting as well.
1: I feel like the NFC South has kind of more of a chaos factor going for it, with like the Lord of the Flies post Brady Bucks, you know, the, yeah. the Saints and like total desperation Derek Carr mode. The Panthers being like seemingly like the the more poorly constructed version of the Texans, where they're trying to start over and rebuild. But they're doing it with a better quarterback prospect, but I think a worse off base and plan than the the Texans have. And you know then, of course, the Atlanta Falcons, who can't stop taking skilled players in the top eight, but also none of them are ever quarterbacks. And that's a real interesting division we're going to talk about next week. The, the Falcons have pulled the trick of
2: being a pretty bad team that we can't stop talking about.
1: No, it's true. Uh, the,
2: the entire fantasy industry – uh, you know, is dedicated to talking not twenty four seven about the Atlanta Falcons. Congratulations to Arthur Smith for uh, making that happen.
1: The Falcons will quote never just throw to Kyle Pitts. Um, uh, just not as simple as that. I remember, he actually went on a rant about how it wasn't that simple to target the six foot eight uh, legendary yeah. athlete freakazoid right. man. Right, yeah. it, it, it's way he's way more valuable
2: as a guy who stands on the boundary and attracts one defender.
1: Yeah, exactly. So we need to talk about the next week, though. Yeah, we talk yes. about the NFC South today. At the AFC South. We'll start with the Texans, who for the first time in a while are at least interesting. It was weird about the Texans and Bill O'Brien is that they were at least always interesting. They committed yep. the very grave sin of not even being interesting the past two years. Uh, <laughs> they overachieved in twenty twenty one under David Culley, and all that did was get him fired? Then they didn't. It's hard to say they overachieved in twenty twenty two, but they overachieved at the exact wrong moment when they won in week 18 and lost the number one overall pick. (laughs) It did usher in CJ Stroud, who we'll get to in a minute, but you want to talk about PFF Bobby, as you call him, and their new short passing attack, maybe a Shanahanian type system in Houston as they welcome in all sorts of former Kyle Shanahan acolytes, including a head coach and the defensive mind and D'Amico Ryans. But I was there with a really simple question, Denny, in twelve team leagues. Are there any Texans even worth drafting beyond Damian Pierce? And not even trying to say that as like a joke, right? But like mm-hmm. seriously, are there any Texans worth drafting not named Damian Pierce in like your standard redraft league?
2: I mean, I, I do, I do think so. Yes, and and this is not even for the sake of conversation because I, I, you know, if I really meant it, I would say no, let's move on. But <laughs> uh, you know, no, Dal- Dalton Schultz, I think, it should certainly be drafted in uh, twelve team leagues. I mean, you know by people who completely fade the tight end position don't get me wrong you're not you're not reaching for dalton schultz i don't think at any point in a 12 teamer uh you know so he so he's one uh you know the analytics nerds they kind of like nico collins including myself although and we can get into this in a second i i I don't really know how nico collins is going to fit into this kind of quick hitting offense as as a uh you know, like a, a Mike Williams type outside downfield type guy. I don't know how much action he's going to see here. And, 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 and then of course tank Dell uh, who, you know, CJ Stroud, it, it's worth noting uh, banged the proverbial table for, for Dell and during the draft, they took them, they have some chemistry going back to the combine and, and uh, so I think some workouts after their college career. So, uh, you know, Dell in the slots could be fun in a, in a, again, an offense that will be coached, you know, by, by Bobby Slowick, we call him PFF Bobby because he, he did work for pro football focus. He's one of us. We finally got in there. And, uh, and he is, you know, as analytically friendly as Kyle Shanahan, hopefully that's, that's, that's the hope. Obviously the Shanahan offense is very good. EPA wise. Okay. So, so good that Jimmy Garoppolo looks good in that offense. So I I, I do think that there, there are some short, pass, short, short area pass-catching options who could be interesting in a 12-team format.
1: That EPA-friendliness did transfer to Miami with Mike McDaniel, yeah. Kyle Shanahan's former right-hand man. It is a little different where there are former Shanahan guys on the offensive staff, but the guy calling the shots is defensive-minded. So it might not be as easy as plug-and-play as it was in Miami, especially because of the talent. Is of course, uh, much different. C.J. Stroud could have a much higher ceiling than Tua Tagovailoa. But we don't know about that floor, and we certainly don't know about the weapons. And when we talk about non-Damian Pierce Texans, I feel like the one name that does keep coming up is Tank Dell. I mean, his ADP is over 200, even an underdog. That's beyond, like, 16 rounds. Even the Sickos are kind of having a difficult time drafting him. He's going behind guys. Other Texans being drafted are Nico Collins and Dalton Schultz are both going, like, the 11th round. Right. Devin Singletary is going like a round or two later. John Mechie is going like the 15th or 16th rounds. And there's like stuff there, but just seems like the only like true upside that is worth talking about is tank Dell. But yeah. is that also just because it's June and his name's tank? Well, and it's a cool name. Yeah. No, cool you, name. you, you, you got to hand it to these, all these guys coming to the league. Every
2: other guy coming to the league is named tank now. And, uh, and you know, he's one of them. So th- th- I think that's cool. Uh, I mean, both, mostly, if you're if you're looking for a reason to draft Dell, it's, it's probably not because C.J. Stroud wanted him on the team. It's because, A, there's not a ton of target competition, uh, and, and then, B, he was extremely productive uh, at Houston over his final two collegiate seasons. Dell, of course, had over 1,300 receiving yards in both of those final two seasons, uh, 29 total touchdowns in those two seasons, uh, so just just a, a a target hog like like the like quintessential target hog in college, and that is that is sometimes usually a good sign uh, of of a guy who can carry that over, not that sort of domination, but can get open, can command targets, and again he's going to be fighting for targets with who with Dalton Schultz basically in that part of the field.
1: We love our target hogs, don't we, folks? Um absolutely love it realistically who is scoring more ppr points tank dell or robert woods denny because robert woods oh, like we've he, robert woods has become the opposite of a, this time it counts we just like ignore him and pretend he does not exist yeah and uh there's no such thing as robert woods anymore folks his yeah. adp is slightly ahead of tank dell realistically who Ooh, is scoring more ppr no. points is it a, oh, wow it I is know. even on, on even on the dog as it's known and are the yappy you? he's going ahead of tank Dell. Oh my
2: my underdog bros are taking Robert Woods, who retired in 2016 yeah. over <laughs> Tank. <laughs> <I started laughs> head wow, even I didn't um, realize it'd been that long. No, come on, no, no, absolutely not. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even consider taking Woods o- over Dell because one guy I think has some, some, some fun PPR based upside. And the other guy is Robert Woods. So uh, I mean, Robert Woods, team leader. He has that dog. Okay. He's a good blocker. He's good for real football. I, I don't know if that's translating to fantasy stuff in this Houston offense.
1: That is the thing. Like if Robert Woods scores more fantasy points than tank Dell, that will say a lot more about tank Dell than Robert Woods. It will just mean tank Dell was a bust. It won't mean Robert Woods, uh, was was like had a good year, like had a rebound year. I feel like, yeah. unless I mean, who does benefit the most from PFF Bobby and the the Texans? What we're assuming is a newfound short passing attack, right? Yeah,
2: I mean, uh, if you know, you re- read up on what Slowick has said uh, and Domico Ryan's new head coach has said about how they want this offense, particularly the passing game, to work, and it and every almost everything points to a lot of easy short passes for CJ Stroud. And that, and that also could, I know we've just, we've just talked about uh, Dell and uh, Dalton Schultz, but it also could, could, could be great for the, for the running backs on this team. Uh, Damian Pierce has talked about watching uh film of Christian McCaffrey and other uh, backs in the Shanahan offense uh, and, and how they operate in, as pass catchers in that offense. Damian Pierce, uh, you know, not, not the greatest pass catcher in the world, but, Certainly, you know more opportunity, more route running, more targets could make could make him uh, quite the steal. I see, I see him and Cam Akers in the same light uh, as guys who are being, un, um, I don't know, you know, uh, underestimated, uh, and right now in, in drafts. And I, I, I like Damian Pierce where he's going.
1: Yeah, it seems like we've throttled a little too far off Damian Pierce, who's going in like the sixties, which I guess you know, like the fifth or sixth round, basically. Uh, that does seem a little too low, a little too dead zony for him. But I mean, are we worried at all about Devin Singletary? I view the Devin Singletary edition as like a good thing, really. That all they brought in to challenge him was Devin Singletary. Any concern with Devin Singletary behind Damian Pierce? Well,
2: the one thing we know about Devin Singletary is that he is an extraordinarily bad pass catcher and a, a, a bad, a bad receiving back. Um, so that that's probably good. You know, it, it it's good that they didn't go out and get a pass catching specialist and said, okay, Damian Pierce. You are our between the tackles, between the twenties guy, and and uh, you're you're going to miss out on a lot of targets and a lot of valuable touches. Uh, we know that you know a a, a target is worth more uh, to to a running back, way more, twice as much as a uh, as a carry. So um, I, I do think that it, you're I'm I'm with you on on Singletary being a a good news signing for Piers.
1: We're about six or seven minutes away from Jaguar reports, John Shipley joining us to talk to the Jags, but Titans now who and Danny just so little fantasy goodness here. Yeah. Kind of the same question we have the, with the Texans and Damian Pierce were beyond Derrick Henry, beyond Traylon Burks, is there anyone even worth drafting in 12 team leagues from the Tennessee Titans? Uh <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Let's see. Uh well, I I you know, I guess uh people would point to Chigakonkwo as someone who you might take in 12 team leagues. But let me tell you He's something. He's
1: around the 10th or 11th round himself too, Mr. Yeah, right. Let me
2: tell you something about hyper, hyper efficient tight ends in run heavy offenses. Uh, it brings you nothing but pain. Uh, this is, <laughs> this is what I'm going to, I'm delivering news. The, the, uh, uh, the fantasy football landscape is littered with the bodies of people who thought, you know what? This guy does a lot with his targets. I'm going to take him <laughs> and start him every week. And yeah, you you could you get a blow up week once in a while. you you get a a, a four catch, one hundred yard, two touchdown game. That's cool. You also get a lot of zeros and a lot of twos on that scoreboard. so i, I I'm not falling for that trap. i've I have fallen for that trap because you think you can extrapolate that efficiency. Well, he was efficient with that many targets and that many routes. So you just add numbers and bang, you have the tight end four. Hey, you know, in the eleventh round. No, it doesn't work like that. Also, Chigakonkwo, unfortunately, is a good blocker. And oh man. And really? Yeah. Darn. Yeah. I hate to I hate to report it. And and the and Titans team on a Titans offense that wants to establish the run. That's uh that's bad news for fans.
1: Very, very bad news. Did not need to hear but Mr. Okonkwo could block. Bro, about beyond Derrick Henry. I mean, do we like? How do you say? it? Tajay Spears. Oh Spears, um, yeah.
2: Tajay Spears, yeah.
1: Tajay Spears. Uh, well, I mean, because I mean, he has I, zero zero RB targets. Going in like the fifteenth, fourteenth
2: round. I guess. I guess. Like, like. I, I, but how many times are we gonna do this? Like, we. This is this is Groundhog Day with uh with Derrick Henry's you know backup with with the RB2 on the Titans every year we say well this this guy you know uh, he's the RB2 I'm just going to take him at the end of my draft I'm going to stash him and wait for Derrick Henry to go it doesn't happen no. it doesn't happen Derrick Henry is the man of steel I know he missed time with the foot whatever that's a freak injury I I am I am very tired of banking on Derrick Henry's demise so I am not too interested in in Spears, I guess unless it's a deeper league.
1: It's also just such a bad offense. It seems like why really stash this guy? And it would be a potential bonanza, of course, were Derek Henry to get hurt. But they've they've also drafted several rookie backs who are supposed to be the heir apparent and then they just like weren't they weren't even they like couldn't even get on the 46 man roster on Sundays. And it's just like he's got to prove it basically first. And it's just I it's just a situation where I'd rather just wait and spin the fab. <laughs> To be honest, rather right. than stash him, and so that's how I would look at it with Tajay Spears.
2: Right? Yeah. I, you know. I mean, you can you can make an argument for any RB two being drafted as a as a zero RB uh, type pick, but uh, I I just don't know if he's going to rank highly for me. I will say just 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 quickly if if this Titans team ends up just being really bad. I mean, their defense was horrific last year. Uh, if, if that is the case, and they have to pass a little more. Than we think they will, and uh, you know they become more of a balanced team. Then a guy like Ke- Kyle Phillips, the the slot receiver, oh, who, on, man. who missed most of last year, he looks PPR scamish. I just I just want to put that out there. But the, about the last Pokemon. year's
1: Tank Dell, basically Tank Dell without a cool name is kind of Kyle Phillips. although I don't know if he was productive in college or not, but we're we're calling him Tank Phillips. He was Tank Phillips real quick as we get closer and closer to John Chipley yeah. joining us. Uh, yeah, he wasn't that productive in college, by the way. Kyle Phillips. No, he wasn't. I think that doesn't really hold yeah. up there. Uh, what would a transition to Will Levis mean for this offense and the targets? And would it be more pass heavy or would it be even more run heavy? I could see it kind of going either way. I'm th- assuming actually I can't see it. I think it would be more run heavy.
2: I think it would be catastrophic for the pass catchers, basically, um, uh, because A, he's not good. And, and and B, uh, I think there would be a lot of quarterback rushing with with Levis, and if he's not rushing, then Derrick Henry's rushing, and so uh, I think I think you know a guy like Traylon Burks would be downgraded to like a border a very borderline play in twelve team leagues, borderline flex I should say, uh, and then uh, you know Phillips, Okonkwo, they all kind of. Uh, you know, l- they lose their fantasy juice completely, I think, with, with that transition. So, I think the best thing for the pass catchers in the Tennessee offense is for Tannehill to somehow, some way hold on to this starting job.
1: Yeah. When I said more pass attempts, it was because it's hard to see how they could pass less than they already do with Ryan Tannehill, but then we know that's not actually true. Uh, oh, they no. could Pass a lot less because we saw what happened with Mal- Malik Willis last year. We, and, uh, it
2: could be similar. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it won't be as extreme, I don't think, because that was. Wild, that was like historic in there in the run heaviness, but but I I think something similar could unfold. Yeah,
1: something similar could unfold, and I don't know, man. Twenty minutes for the Jags, or excuse me, for the Titans, for the Texans, Uh, seems like a lot, but. Got any final thoughts on uh, – I'm trying to think if there's any names we're forgetting from these teams. Did you, did you say anything about Dalton Schultz? Do we, we need I, to say Dalton we, we, Schultz? We're all in. We're all in on the scam. Ooh, you know,
2: yeah. We love a scam on the Road to World Football Show, and that's what you're going to get. Schultz is going to catch it. He's going to fall down for seven yards, and he's going to do it again the next play. And, uh, you know what? That's, that's 1.7 PPR points. I'll take it
1: every time. That is one point. Is it, you know, you said seven yard catch. Is that what we said yeah. um, uh uh-huh. seven. I think it was more like nine when he was with the Cowboys. Okay. Um, always on like second and 14. We'll go but, with that. Yeah. yeah so, um, but my, my one worry, I will say
2: with Houston, my one worry is that D'Amico Ryans will make this defense good enough where the offense can, be pretty conservative and uh that makes me a little bit anxious about the pass catchers
1: uh, fair fair assessment there okay we'll be take a quick break and then we will be right back after this with jaguar reports john shipley download the RotoWorld app to receive breaking player news all season long stay ahead of the competition by favoriting players in your roster get the latest injury updates player news and much more delivered right to your phone it is available in your app store today
2: Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a foxoliner, moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. Nexgard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored, soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to
3: starting a preventive.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal And when you gamble, betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
1: It is now our pleasure to welcome in, I would call him returning guest, John Shipley, since he was here to talk to Jaguars last year. And, John, you know, what is it like to be asked to talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars when they are actually good (laughs) and there are actually expectations for the Jaguars because this is a a new thing?
4: Yeah, it's definitely a new feeling. Like, before last year, the best Jags team I ever covered was, like, the 6 and 10 Nick Foles garden of Menchee monstrosity monstrosity like with like Doug Marrone it was just the most uninteresting team you know possible and since then it's just been you know bad team after bad team and it, it's definitely a new feeling and you can kind of tell inside the building like for a lot of players this is legitimately the first good NFL team they've ever been on which is <laughs> kind of wild to consider you know you look at most franchises but most of their young guys like th- this is the first team that ever had even a little bit of success so it's definitely a new thing
1: yeah, because it took them like eighteen months to get rid of everyone from the Blake Bortles AFC Championship game, and <laughs> it was like that's like one of the more gonna end up one of the more memory hold seasons in NFL history. I feel like where people are like scrolling through like the list of AFC Championship games Wikipedia and like what the hell?
4: They <laughs> <Yeah>, <laughs> played the Patriots. I remember.
2: I remember. I remember Miles <laughs> Jack returning that that would be touchdown. That's right, John. Right, huh?
4: It, it would have been the perfect storm if they ended up playing Nick Foles in the Super Bowl. Like That's that just – I'm, I'm not sure who wins from that. I know. I'm, I'm pretty sure the viewers wouldn't. I'm pretty sure. You know, <laughs> not, not many people inside the game would, but it would have been just the absolute perfect storm. And it, it's funny how how things ended up playing out. You know, Nick Foles ends up playing against a bad Matt Patricia, you know. Coach defense ends up putting up those big numbers. And that's basically why the Jaguars gave him a ton of money for one season. So, <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, like, uh, Time is a flat circle yeah. A wise television man Once said but we'll, we'll get back to reality Now we'll get to the 2023 now John and we'll just start with you know, Travis Etienne was One of the breakouts last year one of the biggest beneficiaries Of the Jaguars moving on from Urban Meyer Who seemed to think Travis Etienne Was a pass catcher And just you know, so many touches last year Seemingly maybe more than they wanted him To handle and just how do you see Travis Etienne's workload comparing to last year? And just how big of a threat is third-round pick Tank Bigsby? We talk about Tank Bigsby. Like, sometimes Denny and I are like, what round is he drafted? And it's like, oh, it's the third. Wow, that's like pretty serious, yeah. actually. And how concerning is this for Travis Etienne?
4: Yeah, I, I really don't think it's overly concerning. I think, you yeah, know, it's kind of crazy when you hear Jaguars coaches, especially Doug Peterson, like, you know, at the end of OTAs, you know, this year. And then at the combine, you know, earlier this year, he basically said, you know, yeah, Travis had no okay case season, but he, he can be a lot better. You know, like there were a lot of plays he missed a lot of holes he missed and you look up and he had, you know, whatever it is, 1400 yards from scrimmage, you know, it, like if that's probably like the lower outcome of what he can do. I mean, I think that's a good sign for him. I, I really don't think tank's going to be a giant threat to him in terms of touches right now. You know, maybe, Obviously, goal line touches are super important. So maybe, you know, the Jaguars' short yardage running game isn't improving early on in the season. I think Doug Peterson has shown that, you know, he'll he'll, he'll be quick to make a switch. So maybe Tank gets some goal line carries if things don't go good for ETN early on. But overall, I think ETN, like, I, I don't think there's a major threat to him for carries. And I, I really think the worst thing to ever happen to, like, the idea of ETN as a player is for Urban Meyer to – Know, talk about him publicly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, I know it color
1: their yeah. perception forever.
4: Exactly, <laughs> Quite literally. It, it, it literally calls him a wide receiver and. You know, I remember one of the first times ETN ever talked to the Jaguars media. He literally said, He's like, Yeah, the only routes I've ever ran are screens and, you know, yeah. dump offs. So He's like, Yeah. You know, and you look back at it as Clemson, you know. If you
1: watch the Clemson Tigers, I'm not sure wide receiver would have come to mind. Exactly. He like he, mm-hmm. he
4: made big plays as a receiver, but if you look back at it, a lot of it was screen plays. And that just, you know, doesn't directly translate. So I think that really hurt the perception of him because I really think this is an offense overall that. Like it doesn't sure. even want to throw to the running back that much. And then you add ETN, who isn't even that great of a pass catcher. And it's kind of a perfect storm for him not to put up big numbers that way.
1: So, okay, no panicking on ETN. Danny has a question yeah. about an area where there's some hype and also some panic.
2: Right. So we're introducing Calvin Ridley into the uh, pass catching pecking order uh, this year in Jacksonville. Last year, it was a pretty flat target distribution among the uh, main pass catchers in this offense, Christian Kirk had a 23% target share. Zay Jones, 22% Evan Ingram, uh, 17%. So, uh, it is Calvin Ridley, the like unquestioned number one alpha in this offense. And if so, which of the, which of the other, the three guys I mentioned, Ingram, uh, Kirk and Jones, which of them loses out?
4: I'm not sure. I'd say he's like the unquestioned alpha because, like, as cliche as it is, I do think Lawrence having a year of experience with Kirk will mean something, at least earlier on the season. Cause I mean, he, he'll be the first to tell you it t- basically took him a full year to, you know, get used to the way Kirk likes to run routes, how he likes to win against coverages. So it does take time for that new relationship. But I also, Ridley to me, you know, looked like the most impressive receiver they had, you know, at OTAs. And he's still not, you know, they're not really pushing him 100% during the offseason just because, obviously, he hasn't played football in two years. You don't want to get him out there and do a million things and, you know, risk potential injuries. But so I, I do think he'll be the alpha of the offense. Like, he'll be the X factor. But I don't think they have an offense that's structured for, like, one guy to, you know, hog the, target, hog the targets every week. Mm-hmm. I think there'll be certain weeks where, like, Zay Jones will randomly, you know, go off. like <laughs> Yeah, that weird three touchdown game last year. You know, I think like yeah, it WWE. always feels.
1: That's always uh, Jay Jones has never had someone describe one of his games without the word "random" <laughs> attached to it.
4: Exactly, and I mean, you look back at Jay Jones last year, and it's the most like, oh, that guy had a hundred something you know, target yeah. season. That he had hundred
1: and twenty-one targets. I actually have it on my show sheet because <laughs> yeah. it seemed hard to believe.
4: Yeah, exactly. Uh, So So I I think if anybody's targets are going to be kind of hurt, it'd probably be his. But I do think there'll be weeks where like Christian Kirk, you know, is the focal point. Zay Jones is, Evan Ingram is.
2: Right. Uh, This is for my own edification, John. How much does the Jaguars coaching staff love Zay Jones? Tell me, tell me just (laughs) how. Because it seems like a lot.
4: A lot. Uh, It it (laughs) seems like Press Taylor would, you know. Pres yeah. Taylor doesn't seem like the fighting kind of person, but it seems like he would definitely fight over his agent. <laughs> he, he, every time, you know, you ask any Jaguars, you know, coach about him, you know, they talk about the things that, you know, you, you don't really see in terms of production or advanced metrics or anything like that. Yeah, you know, it's just kind of what people say, you know, like they know their exact assignments, the little things he does. And he's also the most. Again, like you said, random goes with him. He's the most randomly physical receiver. Like he'll, you know, they'll use him as almost like a tight end on some plays, you know, crack blocks and stuff. And you'll see him getting random skirmishes, you know, during practices. It just seems like it comes out of nowhere. And coaches, for whatever reason, love that stuff.
1: Yeah. But we, we used to joke about in Vegas, like Derek Carr. Like John Gruden would talk about him. Like I've never, I, it just yeah. goes beyond football, man. I just never. Yeah, exactly. Like, say yeah. Jones.
4: Yeah. Like, right, can right. you explain it? And they're like, no, we can't. <laughs> I, know, I know. He's That's a accepted. hell of a guy.
2: He, he is like, a co- a coach's player through and through. And, and you know, I know we're, we're, we're making jokes here, but for fantasy that, that does factor in like, like we, we can't ignore they like, okay. Say Jones is not like statistically great. He doesn't pop in any category. But if, if a guy has the coach's trust, you know, that, that that does tend to matter. Now, Ridley entering the scene obviously throws a wrench in there. But uh, it's, it's worth noting when a, when a coaching staff really does have strong feelings like that for a player.
4: Oh, 100%. So, I think even Trevor Lawrence having strong feelings for him is, you know, a pretty big thing. Cause, yeah. and, uh, like like the coaches, he weirdly is like, yeah, this guy's one of my favorite players. It's, no, I'm telling it's you. Random.
1: This guy is just a, he's a hell of a guy. I want to be friends with him. And John, getting a little more granular with it, at least on underdog right now, Calvin Ridley is going as the wide receiver 16. So like, kind of like getting up to the elite tight end two range. We know you are fantasy familiar. I mean, does that strike you? The role you just described, you think he's going to be the alpha of the offense, but again, there's, like Denny said, it was a flat target distribution last year. Trevor Lawrence seemed comfortable spreading the ball around. Doug Peterson was always comfortable spreading the ball around in Philadelphia. The projecting Calvin Ridley as the wide receiver sixteen just maybe seemed too aspirational.
4: Were they Christian Kirk finished last year?
1: He was in the top twenty four, and he's still going as the wide receiver twenty seven.
4: Yeah, um, I, if he can put up numbers like Christian Kirk did last year, that's probably be like I think like best case you know so you think I, that's
1: like a best case
4: yeah so that that is probably a little rich honestly
1: um do you think like Evan Ingram who was like a top seven or eight or nine tight end is he affected at all or does his role have nothing to do um with Christian kirk uh Zay Jones Calvin Ridley
4: yeah I really I really don't think he's affected that much because I mean you you even look at you know what they did in the draft like they took a tight end in the second round but I can confidently say like that tight end is, you know, not not ready to threaten Evan Ingram snaps or <laughs> anything like that, based on you know what we've seen so far. And he, he's another guy. Like, there's just no other guy really for that role for them to turn to. You know, I, people love to think. You know, I, I would get a ton of questions on last year's training camp about Dan Arnold, and Dan Arnold posed hey, you know, zero threat was, to him.
1: Those were all from Denny, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> were,
2: uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I do I, another kind of peripheral player. I wanted to ask, about, can we get? Some manufactured touches for for my guy, Jamal Agnew. Why is this guy not getting more touches? He is explosive. He scores a touchdown like every third touch. Can we get more, uh, John, this year?
4: No, I I think... I'm not sure you're going to get more, but I think you're definitely going to get some. He had won the craziest like snap to touch ratios last year. It was like almost every play he was on the field, yeah. he was getting the ball. And yeah, there, there's a reason with all the restructuring and stuff they did capitalize this year. They didn't touch his contract. Like he makes a lot of money for a returner, but the way they, you know, at least think about it is okay, he also has a role in the offense. And that role is, you know, just like you said, you know, design touch so the absolute like that like that was Jim Bob Cooter's job last year is basically research trick plays and stuff to get Jim Ball <laughs> near the ball. So yeah, that's just the kind of role that he's gonna play.
1: So Jamal Agnew and Urban Meyer is kind of like the old clickhole meme like heartbreaking. The worst person you know <laughs> had one good opinion and that was liking Jamal Agnew. Yeah. Urban that's Meyer true. He was right about Jamal Agnew. We haven't talked a ton about Trevor Lawrence yet who took definitely got back on the path to superstar in last year. As we saw in the divisional round where it was what four interceptions in the first like 20 minutes of the game. Still some room to grow but they already put so much on his shoulders last year. He was seventh in the league with 584 pass attempts john what is your take on are they comfortable with trevor lawrence throwing that much do they maybe want to dial that back and be a little more balanced especially now that they have like an early down specialist in tank bigsby who can maybe take some of those more like really grinding between the tackles touches short yardage touches do you, th- do you think any sense they want to dial back trevor lawrence's attempts or is it trevor's a budding superstar and we're, we're going to let trevor do his thing
4: I think, if anything, they they want to put more in Trevor Lawrence's plate. I really do. Like, I you look at it last year, and, well, the physical traits and stuff and the talent was always there. He definitely over, you know, the first half, first probably three quarters of the season, still wasn't a quarterback who could, like, put the offense and put the team really, you know, on his back and go win a game. And he showed the ability to do that, you know, towards the end of last season. And now, you know, the thought is, okay, for the first time, you know, as an NFL player, he's not learning a new offense. He's not having to adjust to a ton of, you know, New receivers and stuff He has the same position coach The thought is that He's going to be You know A good bit better This year At least inside the building Than he was last year Which is kind of wild Because I mean, The Jaguars Their illustrious Quarterback history and he, he had and, and, Like uh, last year is probably going to be One of the worst years He ever had In terms of production and It was still One of the You know Better seasons A Jags quarterback Has ever had
1: <laughs> Yeah That's like going back To like grade school Like he had never right. had A bad season Until Urban Meyer uh, Came around Right Then he, It right. he looks like you had something On the tip of your tongue there
2: no, I, I mean, yeah, that that was the reputation was like he's he hasn't had a losing season since he was eight, and uh, <laughs> then he he comes in and has, has to struggle uh, through that. I, I wanted to touch on uh, Trevor Lawrence's rushing.
1: I was going to uh, ask the same thing because yeah,
2: you know he he's good. He he seems to be a a good rusher, selective rusher. I, we see coaches like Sean McDermott in Buffalo saying, you know, we don't we don't really want that for our guy Josh Allen, like we. We need him to be a quarterback first and a runner second. Uh, do the Jaguars feel feel similarly about Trevor Lawrence, or does he kind of have the green light to to run when he when he needs to run?
4: No, he, he definitely kind of has the green light. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of exactly which game it was last year. It might have been against you know the Chargers in the playoffs where. You know, they had a play called at the one-yard line, and he just, instead of going with the play, just, you know, put it over the goal line. I think in those cases, they trust him to do stuff like that. But just in terms of, like, as an actual design runner, I think you'll see glimpses of it here and there. I mean, they they showed willingness to get creative with him last year. They just – I think for his style of running, you need to be better up front in terms of short yardage, you know, blocking than they probably are because like, he he's a physical player, but he's still, you know, he, he, even, you know, with some added mass, he's still kind of a string bean, you know, type of quarterback. He's not a tough guy to bring down. So just because of that extent, I always think his rushing is kind of going to be capped. Like it's going to be something he can do, but I wouldn't ever really rely on it week in, week out.
2: Are we going to get the tush push in Jacksonville? Are we going to get some big dude lining up behind him, Lawrence, and just shoving him into the defensive line?
4: You know, that there's definitely a way that they can make some Trent Balky signings look more valuable if they take some of those defensive alignment <laughs> and just let them get goal line carries. So I, I say all for it.
1: Yeah. John, I'll, I'll do one or two, like, put you on the spot questions. Well, you haven't gotten to see a ton of practices yet, but – what's like the most interesting thing you've seen so far in Jaguars, OTAs or mandatory mini camp?
4: I, I, I'd say probably the most interesting thing is that it really feels like, you know, they're opening the playbook, you know, in terms of aggressiveness up, up, up more, you know, like, you really didn't see many vertical shots from them last year, you know, because obviously Zay Jones, Marvin Jones are your outside receivers. Yeah, that, that's just not a lot of speed on the field. I really think the addition of Ridley is going to help them be more aggressive. And like even without Evan Ingram, you could see, you know, a more aggressive kind of offense, you know, mindset. And I think Trevor Lawrence, you know, being there, you know, and just in the scheme for another year, like you're going to see him even, you know, be more aggressive than he was last year, which is kind of wild to think about.
1: Do you have any fantasy opinions or hot takes, or kind of nothing beyond what we've already talked
4: about? There's such a tough, like since they're returning so many people, it's like basically Calvin Ridley and Tank Bigsby. I, I would say that the the only take I would have that's no not about anybody we talked about. It's an absolutely you know d- disgusting thing to have uh, a take about, but who Carol will. I'll produce Britain Strange for you absolute sickos out there.
1: <laughs> that's the, we're getting deep down in it there. Yeah, that's right. And deep, deep down in it. And it's, frankly, it's what we want. And is a, uh, is a, uh, is Dan Arnold even still on the team, by the way? No, He honestly, I'm
4: not <laughs> sure what team he's on. <laughs> he, he's not on their team, though. So.
1: That's, a, that's a real shame. So He's on the yeah. Toronto Argonauts, I believe. Yeah, you know, that sounds about right. And,
4: uh, it, it was while, like, last, like, trading camp, like, the Jaguars produced, like, a whole mic'd up thing with Doug Peterson, and, like, half the video was him showing Dan Arnold how Zach Ertz did a route, and then you look, and he got thrown, like, three passes all the <laughs> time. It was like, uh, just nuts. No.
1: Some would say it was a miscarriage of justice. Um, some uh, have joined a class action lawsuit, Denny Carter. Um, yes.
2: I, I I launched it, and I will see it through, folks, to get okay. justice.
1: Well, John, thank you so much for coming by and dropping Jag's knowledge on us for second year in a row. Probably try to do it a third year in yeah. a row next year. you want on, on Twitter at underscore John underscore Shipley. Uh, you want to tell the audience about... Anything about where your work is or what you got coming up this summer? It is kind of the downtime yeah. for reporters, but what you got cooking either now or in the near future?
4: Yeah, excuse the double underscores. There's like a 50 year veteran know. in Minnesota named John Shipley who's like, ridiculous. Yeah, a sports writer who and, until he until he gives it up, you know. I'm, hopefully, he you know accepts <laughs> my challenge a steel cage match one day to you know finally <laughs> but, you know. I, You can find me, you know, at at the SI branch of, you know, really team sites, boots on the ground, you know, foundation, find me, si.com slash NFL slash Jaguars, Jaguar report. Yeah, I, I, I try to do stuff daily. I mean, even, you know, in this downtime, you know, I have interviews from position coaches, you know, stuff like, you know, talking to Bernie Parmalee, the running backs coach, about why Tank Bixby has him so excited. And he talks about, you know, he basically didn't know at all if Tank Bixby could catch, and then he watches him in the offseason. He's like, okay, you know, he has that part of it, his game. So stuff like that will be coming down the pipeline.
1: Awesome. And John yeah. is a very active, very good tweeter, by the way. So yes. follow him. Just search John Shipley. You'll find him. On the Agree TV. to disagree
4: on yeah. the good part, but uh, <laughs>
1: As long as Elon hasn't broken the search function yeah. even more, you will be able to <laughs> find. John, yeah. thank you so much for dropping by. And please check out John on Twitter and all over the various interwebs. Uh, we hope he has an interesting season. So catch you later, John. We will be right back after this, either with Nate Atkins or soon after this with Nate Atkins. But first, a word from our sponsors, uh, who is us. <laughs> Just a reminder Sunday mornings mean MLB leadoff on Peacock. You can live stream games all season long. And this week, two of the biggest surprises of the first half of the season square off when the Twins take on the Orioles at Camden Yards. Catch the showdown at 1130 a.m. Eastern. Again, that is ex- exclusively on Peacock. Denny, uh, what yeah. do you think about Carlos Correa's slow start so far? With the
2: twins? Yeah, it's well, it's concerning uh, considering the season is, what, now six to eight months old?
1: We're we're third done with the season. So what what am I,
2: by the way, you're telling me that the Cardinals were playing in where in London,
1: London town, as it's known, Londinium, as the Romans called it. Why, uh, why, why? (laughs) Growing the game. Just like the NFL. I mean, why is the NFL playing in in Stuttgart this year? It's Um,
2: baseball.
1: Yeah. Nobody wants to
2: play baseball.
1: You know what the dark secret is, is, is baseball is way more popular internationally than football we hate to admit it it drives people drive people crazy with this one weird trick but it's telling them that baseball is far more of an international sport than football but but in in europe though come on come on well in europe do you know do you know a country where baseball is big in europe there's one really random country
2: oh god what is it greece or something
1: uh no they have participated in some of the uh international tournaments what is the netherlands uh get a lot of players from Aruba, Curaçao, probably more from Curaçao than Aruba. Yeah. But kind of like they, it's, it's popular in the Dutch islands and it's apparently bleeding into some of the mainland very, very far away in Europe. But, yeah, I'm sorry you're so triggered by MLB uh, yeah. going to take over England. Um, well, I mean, you- <laughs> only the Jacksonville Jaguars can do that apparently.
2: That's true. They will be at the vanguard of that takeover. Uh, by the way, I, I saw you tweeting. You know, I, I have to see my team get its butt kicked at uh, at nine o'clock a.m. on a Sunday. It's great.
1: Yeah, and they thankfully uh, that the reverse psychology worked, and they oh, did come did? back to win that game. Um, they were winning. They were losing four to nothing in the second inning. and The Cubs had a leadoff double, mm-hmm. and the Cardinals fans were like, "Well." New worst loss of the season just dropped after they lost nine to one on Saturday. Oof. And then they oh. came back to stun the Chicago Cubs seven to five.
2: Tell me, I just saw pa- passingly. Tell me what happened with the angels and the Rockies the other day. It was 23 to nothing in the third inning.
1: It, well, it was 23 to nothing in, like the fourth inning and they scored 23 runs between two innings, I believe the third and the fourth, and no oh team goodness. had ever done that in baseball. And then they won. Danny, if you were the Colorado Rockies, would you rather lose twenty-five to nothing or twenty-five to one to the Los Angeles Angels of
2: uh, I I gotta have. I gotta get the one.
1: You gotta get the one. You I gotta get, to get the eighth inning solo homer. That's so meaningless. Like it makes the no.
2: I don't know. You know, just just for pride, just for pride. And and I mean, they, they would have had uh, to, you know, abandon the city of Denver if uh, if they didn't score one run in a 25 run loss. So, yeah, I I think uh, I think I think you got to get that one. So you're saying no, you're saying you just go with zero.
1: No, oh, yeah, you go with the zero. You just go for history at that point. At least get something out of it. Get some history like the worst <laughs> shutout loss in franchise history. Oh, come on, man. We're just about to welcome in Nate Atkins. We're letting him get settled in. But did you see this happen in the College World Series then on Sunday yeah, too? Yeah, like 24 to 3? I thought that time. I was
2: – I thought that, I, you know, that I had like dreamed the Angels situation because then I see the in the college uh, game and I'm like, wait, so this is the thing where every day we have a 20-plus run deficit, fa- you know, somebody's facing. This is, this is great. Good sport.
1: The, the Zoomers, the hot new Zoomer trend is they just can't stop losing baseball games 25 <laughs> to 1. Um, so, but enough about baseball, the dark, like sp- sport, we can't talk about within relation to football. None of our audience uh, no. can stomach any football at this time for more football. The Indianapolis stars, Nate Atkins is here to talk a team in the Colts that, you know, even with Jim Irsay, kind of one of the leagues, more like loose cannon owners have been a model of stability up until last year. Uh, now the Colts, they're interesting, Nate, um, kind of doomed to live in interesting times. Uh, but they had a very kind of normal, like responsible outcome in Shane Steichen. And just what is the sense? Well, let's start with a broad question. What is the sense around the Colts kind of after the chaos, like kind of around the building after the chaos of last year, but then settling on what is really a buy the book hire in Shane Steichen?
3: Yeah, I think everyone's just excited to get back to some sense of normalcy, even if it kind of trends a little bit more toward boring at times. So Shane Steichen was – Really that in a lot of ways, good really really in good ways for what they need at the time. you know they're coming off Jeff Saturday who's just kind of stepped in interim role almost kind of more of a you know a watcher of the team than a coach. And then Shane Steichen was sort of a lot of what you know what they went for the last time when they hired a, a head coach and Frank Reich. They went with an Eagles offensive coordinator. The idea is to, to they have to build up the passing game. back then it was about with Frank Reich, it was about getting the most out of Andrew Luck with Shane Steichen, it's about drafting a quarterback and building from the ground up the way that he just did with Jalen Hurts getting there in his second year and then the way that he did for a year with uh, with Justin Herbert, you know, with the Chargers. So they they were happy to, to embrace a world where the, the head coach was just sort of, a you know, a guy who's, who's going to get them in the right position who can hire a young and innovative staff who can, you know, kind of build an offense around the quarterback but not be Anything really more than that. And that's kind of what Shane's lived up to so far. The excitement in the building, of course, is around Anthony Richardson and the the possibilities they now have with uh, the first quarterback they've drafted in the top 10 since Andrew Locke. So it's the first time they've sort of gone to the draft to try and find hope that way. And there's definitely excitement that comes with that. A lot of risk, too. But but there there's hope in the building in a way that, that wasn't at all last year.
1: Certainly more excitement than going, like, finding the next Carson Wentz. The uh, fans like, like, oh, man, there's an even worse version of Carson Wentz somehow, and we found him. But you kind of just alluded to a lot of this. So if you were basically designing a head coach, uh, they basically got the platonic ideal of a head coach hire, like a guy coming from one of the best teams in the league in the Eagles, a guy coming from a genuinely innovative offense, a guy coming from like a genuinely, like, very versatile offense, an Eagles team that – just ran, ran, ran in 2021 and remained run heavy in 2022. But then got in a lot more of the past than we were expecting. And so just how do they plan? So we, we've seen a little, but my, that's my long way of saying, we've seen a little bit of everything from Shane Steichen and the offenses he was a part of the two years. Just how do you think they plan to utilize Anthony Richardson as a rookie who our own Kyle Dvorak has said is kind of like Derrick Henry in a quarterback's body but we just all know about like the rawness and inexperience as a passer. How do you think they plan to thread like that upside and also like inexperienced needle in 2022, 2023?
3: It was a big hurdle. They had to get over in the pre-draft process was figuring out if you're going to take Anthony Richardson, what's the plan for him? Do you start him early on? Do you want to try and redshirt him the way that some teams have gotten the chance to with like Patrick Mahomes? And they decided somewhere in that process that for a guy who only had 13 starts, at all above high school and is as young as he is. He just turned 21 last month. They wanted him to be able to play early on and learn that way. The way that in a lot of ways that Jalen Hurts had to work through you know, his accuracy issues out on the field with first team reps, building chemistry with receivers, the way Josh Allen that's how he made a leap in his accuracy. So I expect Anthony to play early on which means that there's going to be ups and downs to it. I think they know that and they're ready for it. You know, so far we've seen him out there at OTAs and minicamp and you see the accuracy concerns for sure it looks like a guy who struggled with that in college but also looks like a guy who you know is is putting everything into it to try to to try to make those gains and then can do things that others can as far as how far he can throw the ball down the field and you know just the way he can shift within the pocket and also take off on some of these explosive runs so i think they're going to cater an offense that's going to be very much around what he can do right now which is the run game and getting the ball down the field off of play action and really attacking the sidelines. So pretty much when defenses want to key in on the run against Richardson and Jonathan Taylor with an extra safety, it's gonna open up one of those sidelines with the middle of the field closed. And that's where Alec Pierce, Michael Pittman Jr., guys like that are gonna kind of thrive. But they kind of know that this is gonna it's gonna be probably a pretty boomer bust offense. Uh, early on with him, they'll try and counteract that with you know, steady enough run game that can kind of keep them on the field and, and also give them a chance at explosive plays if they can get a, uh, Jonathan Taylor back to being what he was a couple years ago. But with a rookie who needs this much of a jump in accuracy, new playbook, new coach, young receivers, I think they very much realize that like the, the results are going to be very much a work in progress. They had to be ready for that world when they drafted Anthony in the first place.
1: So Nate, would it be fair to say are the Colts, we're just guessing, are they going to be like bottom five in pass attempts? Maybe bottom three? Could they surprise me bottom 10? We know they're going to be bottom something in pass attempts. Just how low do you think it yeah. will be in terms of passing volume?
3: I think they'll be bottom 10. It'll really come down to, though, what they have to do. You know, they, they're going to want to run the ball a lot. Like, the part of why the Eagles got to run the ball a lot, especially in the postseason, is they were up in those games. You know, how much they were up against the Giants that put them in a position to just kind of play it safe and and run clock that way. Right now, the Colts have a defense where they're going to start potentially uh, one or two rookies at outside corner. You know They've got guys who've never played at all in the secondary uh, that's losing Stephon Gilmore and Rodney McLeod. So they may be in a position where they're down enough and they don't really have a choice but to open it up and throw. But that's certainly not going to be uh, the plan for them. That's not going to be the script. If it's up to them, I think they'll run, you know, the, they'll lead the league in rush attempts. It'll just depend on whether, whether games allow them to do that.
2: That's a, a good transition to what I wanted to ask you about here about Jonathan Taylor, who uh, did not participate in Colts mandatory mini camp after undergoing um, a, an ankle procedure in January. Uh, he is expected per the team to be ready for training camp, but I guess, my question to you is, you know, what what have you heard about Taylor's ankle and his status headed into July and August?
3: Yeah, it's interesting because it really bothered him all last season. He sprained that, it would have been around week four or five against the Titans and just tried to play through it and it was never right until they finally shut him down uh, in December there. And then, you know, the, the, so the surgery's gotten in the way a little bit where they kind of probably want to see how he bounces back and is explosive. He's trying to get a contract negotiation done, so that's held that up a little bit. But uh, all the indications are that he's going to be ready by training camp, that he'll be out mm-hmm. there, and that's that'll be the opportunity for him to show more of the flashes of what he was a couple years ago. We just never saw that top-end speed after, like, week three or four last year. And it may just start to get into those wonders about, you know, how much do you pay a running back? How truly difference-makers, you know, how much of a mm-hmm. difference-maker is he? Well, he wasn't healthy last year, so if he can show more of that, in the preseason and in, in, the, in the training camp settings the joint practices and whatnot, that's right. when I think they'll sit down and they'll, they'll try and iron out a deal, but I, it's held it up a little bit uh, just because he hasn't been able to be out there. But uh, I, I don't, as of right now, I don't expect that to linger too, too long.
2: Sure. And, and uh, my follow-up to that would be uh, do you see uh, the team being wary of his workload of, of Jonathan Taylor's workload at all? And maybe spelling him a little bit with either fifth round pick Evan Hall or Zach Moss, who took over as I believe the early the uh, primary early down back last year when Taylor um, was uh, was sidelined with that injury. Or are we just going to see Taylor as as a three, a three down back in a Colts backfield that will probably be pretty, pretty run first, pretty run heavy.
3: Part of that also depends on if they get the contract extension done. You know, if he's in a contract year, you have a little less uh, care about the tread that's going to go on those tires. And, uh, you know, they may be happy to get him to another rushing title that way. Uh, but, I mean, I think they'll work in some of those other guys. Zach Moss did show late last year, especially both as a runner and as a pass protector, you know, some abilities to be a second back. They're going to need that if they want to run as much as they're going to this year but I still think Jonathan Taylor is going to take just a monstrous load this year, as long as he's healthy to do it, because that's how they're going to ease Anthony Richardson in is having him with a back that can not just run pretty well, but but can get those first downs can get some of the explosive plays that Anthony maybe isn't ready yet for as a passer, but also to take such a volume to where Anthony is able to use his mobility sort of to influence the defense, but not be the guy taking all the hits. Because if you go back in high school and in college, Anthony Richardson has had seasons derailed by injuries. It's one of the things I don't know that we talk about enough with him is that while he is built like Derrick Henry in terms of for a quarterback in terms of being, you know, 6'4", 245, you know, but you run guys that much. We saw what happened to Cam Newton over time, who's, who's the one quarterback you would compare in size to him. Josh Allen last year got into some scares health wise. So that's something that's going to be front of mind with Anthony, because if he gets hurt, you know, he can't develop as a passer if he can't be out there at practice. So it's a very, very important thing they're going to have to monitor. That's where I think Jonathan Taylor, you know, I was recently ranking the most important Colts players to what this season needs to be for Anthony. And he's, he's number one on the team outside of Anthony for that reason.
1: So you think basically it sounds like as long as he's healthy, we're planning on like full-blown cutting Jonathan Taylor loose, basically let John Taylor cook.
3: Yeah, I think that's absolutely the point. I mean, they if you look at it, too, they, they signed a new O-line coach and running backs coach, both from the Giants. I think they're going to take a lot of what Saquon Barkley did last year with a mobile Daniel Jones, the run scheme that they used, and just really try and get back to what this team did two years ago when Jonathan Taylor led the league in rushing. If they have that version of him. They feel like you know, Anthony Richardson's in a position to, to be a rookie and to have ups and downs and still have an offense that can kind of do things. If they don't get this version of Jonathan Taylor, though, and they're just kind of – if they're even just an average run game around him, that's where it, it becomes way too much for him to handle at times, or it could if he's just not ready as a passer.
1: So you talk about wanting to maybe protect Anthony Richardson, which very understandable. It looks like you say he can't develop if he's not on the field. How realistic then – the fantasy community is counting on Anthony Richardson speaking of being cut loose, just like let loose as a rusher, and – a guy where it won't even really matter that much, that he's not going to pass a ton as a rookie because he's just going to run so much and rushing is so valuable for quarterbacks and fantasy. Do you think we'll mostly be rewarded with like a a true dual threat and Anthony Richardson or will maybe be more frustrating usage than fantasy managers are expecting?
3: I think you'll see him run quite a bit. And I think we'll see some of the upside of his you know, his athleticism, because partly because of Taylor. His defenses are going to get so keyed in on him and his ability to break it 80 yards for a touchdown that some of that's going to open up for Anthony as well. And, you know, it's just, to me, it depends on how long they can keep him upright doing that because that's going to be the idea is to use his rushing ability. It's sort of like you look at how Jalen Hurts developed. Um, he's he's run a lot every year, but that's, that's become sort of the floor for him to develop as a passer is that, he could still be productive. He could get first downs and occasionally touchdowns with his legs in a way that, you know, that that let him just sort of ease along as a passer. So I definitely think he'll be much more effective and efficient as a runner than as a passer early on. But how long, how much that holds up depends on how healthy he is. But it's also a thing where because of Taylor, like I think I think Richardson will run a a good amount among the most in the league, but it won't be I don't think we'll be seeing him set you know records for rushing attempts because that's really what Taylor's job is going to be.
2: I, I did have a question about uh, Anthony Richardson's usage. Uh, you know, you you talked about his rushing, and obviously that's going to be his main appeal uh, for fantasy purposes. So last year, uh, Jalen Hurts was second among all players, not quarterbacks, but all players, with twenty rushes inside the five. Uh, that's unbelievable for fantasy because you get a lot of, a lot of touchdowns out of that. Uh, could we see something similar with Anthony Richardson or am I just wish casting here? Am I just, am I just trying to paint a rosy picture?
3: Uh, I think you might see the rookie version of that where okay. they do it a lot. You know, they Shane Steichen loves that uh, the, the rugby style quarterback sneak that is, you know, that's still kicking around and yeah. Anthony has a body that's all that's going to play well for this. So, they will do that when they're down there. I think the big difference is the Eagles had a lot more red zone attempts than I think the Colts will because their offense is a lot better. They have the best offensive line in football. They have A.J. Brown. You know They, they had a way to – they have Jalen Hurts, who's in his third year. So whatever the scaled-back rookie version of that is, I think you can look to that with Anthony. But, again, it's also probably going to be slightly different because – because of Jonathan Taylor is that if, if they had a Jonathan Taylor in the Eagles, he probably gets yeah. a few more of those, but I, I think that's a good way to, to kind of expect things to go.
2: Gotcha. Uh, getting back to the, the, the passing attack this year. Um, do you have, do you have any, any, any read on the new regimes plans for Michael Pittman we, on this show? We've discussed how it seems like uh, if, if Anthony Richardson truly does, you know, uh, have a long leash and, and starts every game this season, that that probably wouldn't be great for Michael Pittman as a as an intermediate area pass catcher. You talked about how good Richardson is as a downfield thrower using play action on that. But I guess I guess I just wanted to start with: uh, Is Michael Pittman still seen as as the wide receiver one on this team headed into this year? Yeah,
3: there's no doubt about that because you look at the other receivers on this team. They have a battle in the slot between Isaiah McKenzie and Josh Downs, the third round rookie. Alec Pierce will start the other wide receiver spot, but he's he's still still coming along. Still, you know, he kind of got a messed up rookie year last year with everything that happened in the offense. And then there's not really anybody else around that. There's no one established as a tight end yet, even though there's some talent there. So Michael Pittman's by far the most experienced and oldest player that they have, by far the most you know, accomplished at handling number one coverage. I think that's gonna be his role again. It's you know, for him, it's the there's pluses and minuses to this situation here obviously if they they run the ball a lot it is a young developing passer developing accuracy that's not you know the easiest thing to play around but you know the, I, I do think they're going to go his way a lot in, in these situations when they're on third down when they have to throw because he's he's established at doing it mm-hmm. also that situation where an extra safety is in the box that takes one away from Michael Pittman which has been a lot of the issue in the past couple of years there's really been no one to get that attention off of Michael Pittman Jr. And it's just one of those things where, you know, a couple of years ago, Pittman played with Carson Wentz, who stylistically is kind of what we're talking about here. He was not a middle of the field player. He wasn't an accurate thrower, but he was a guy who would scramble, get outside the box and throw down the field. And that's when Pittman had a thousand yards and no one else on the team even had more than 400 yards. So I still think Pittman's going to be by far the most, uh, the biggest volume player here, the biggest big play guy here. The question is kind of what's the ultimate ceiling on that? Can they build enough of a chemistry and can Anthony be consistent enough to really feed that game by game? Because Pittman, he's played with, this is going to be his, I believe, his sixth starting quarterback now in his fourth season. Awesome. So it's, to it's messed up the trajectory and it's it's kept us from really understanding how good this guy can be. Because I think he's got some number one qualities, but we've mm-hmm. just never had a chance to really see it yet. Gotcha.
1: He averaged 135 targets the past two seasons. Is there any way he comes close to that, or is the overall passing volume just not going to be there?
3: I expect that to be a little bit down, but there's just not that many guys that you can see getting a lot of targets in this offense. It's possible Josh Downs takes that job and he has such a connection with with Anthony as a rookie that that's there. But I don't expect Alec Pierce to have a ton. I'm not sure they're going to use Mo Alley-Cox in the passing game. They no longer have a receiving back like Naheem Hines, even though they may try and develop Evan Hole there. Uh, it depends. Maybe Jelani Woods takes a huge leap as a tight end. Maybe Kylan Granson's more of a thing. Uh, or maybe maybe they are successful enough running the ball that they just are the, the last team in the league in pass attempts. But I still think that uh, when you when you break out the targets this year, I think Pittman's going to lead the Colts by a wide, wide margin. If you were going to take a
1: late-round flyer – I'll just make this the final question. If you were going to take a late-round flyer between Alec Pierce and Josh Downs, who I think fantasy managers are kind of penciling into that slot job. Like you said, there is Isaiah McKenzie there. Who would you be using a late-round flyer on? Alec Pierce, the outside, maybe touchdown threat, or Josh Downs, who could just maybe see some cheap compiling volume over the middle of the field?
3: Uh, I guess I'm going to cheat and say if you're in PPR, take Josh Downs uh, <laughs> because – that's if he starts. That's going to be the role. It's going to be a. It's going to be volume. But it's you know it's going to be. He's kind of the guy who has to get Anthony to a more accurate and consistent place as a thrower. And over time, he will. I don't know. I, I it's have hard time seeing how quickly that's going to be because he hasn't been out there at all since rookie minicamp. So I I don't know who's going to start in the slot. What's tough with Pierce is he's going to definitely start and play a lot outside. I think he'll have some good slot. You know, good splash plays when. They do have the safety uh, down in the box. But if we're breaking up targets, I mean, he's probably maybe third or fourth on a team that's going to run the ball a ton. So I don't know that either one of those guys is. is uh, that's, I guess that's why you said late round flyer. That's probably a better way to look at it because uh, it's, you know, I, I think the passing is going to be Pittman and then tight ends and then those guys after that get you out of here on this one, just you
1: haven't gotten to see a ton of practices yet. It's still kind of early in the offseason process for training. I mean, we're far along in the offseason. You only get to see so much in OTAs and minicamp. What is the most interesting thing you've seen in Colts practice so far as we wait for training camp to begin?
3: Uh, I'd have to go. See, they have had so many guys out. They're really playing it easy. But the, the, the thing that's been interesting to watch has just been Anthony Richardson and the ways that they're trying to just, kind of drop him into the deep end and see how it goes. So there have been some days we've been out there and they've done only red zone work with him where they really want to stress the ball placement, the quick decision-making, and that's brought out some struggles. And then they've then they've gone, like the very next day, they'll throw him into something else. They'll throw him into like a two-minute drill. One of the days, it was all scripted work. So it was like, how fast can he go through the plays he's prepared? The very next day after that, they did one where he had no idea which play to be called, and they intentionally threw in plays that they introduced to him the very first day that they never brought up since then to see if he would remember it. So they're still testing him as if this is sort of like one of those uh, war room meetings or one of those draft you know, combine meetings to see kind of what his retention level is, what his recall level is kind of out there in the moment, how he commands the huddle within that. They're trying to get a sense for how early they're going to go to him because everyone knows they're going to go to him. And once the idea is once it's his huddle, it's got to it's got to really be his huddle. Guys have to believe in him. They don't want a situation where they decide it's not really there for everybody else, so they pull it back and they send him back to the bench. Whenever they put him in there, it's got to be full go. So they've intentionally made it difficult on him. So we're we're out there we're reporting some of the passing numbers and like there was a co- like a two day span where he was like you know five of thirteen and those numbers and uh, without context look pretty bad, but they're. They're, they're designing it to be tough right now so they can figure out what to work on. And just the different ways they've stressed him from the jump have kind of told me that they they, they want to get this thing moving a lot faster than I think some people realize. So
2: just real quick, I know we, we've said we'll get you out of here. I, I, I have to follow up on that because it sounds like they're seeing how much Anthony Richardson can handle. Is there a chance, even an outside chance, that Gardner Minshew could start under center this the season uh, to, to begin
3: the season? Yeah, there's a chance he could start week one. Uh, there, that's kind of the one that I'd—that's trending toward Anthony's job week one. But I—I I don't think it's a guarantee yet uh, because okay. really they got to have someone who's who's ready to run the entire playbook and and do everything. And so Anthony has mostly picked that part up, but we we have to see it in training camp. And, and Gardner's just way ahead in terms of knowing the playbook because he spent the past two years in it. So he's a further ahead than. He's almost too far ahead to see in these settings because the other young players aren't caught up to him yet. There have been so many guys out between, you know, Pittman hasn't practiced, Pierce a little bit, Downs has been out. Uh, They just haven't had the guys that Jelani Woods has been out. They haven't had the guys that he's going to throw with yet. So in training camp, they to see kind of how he adjusts to all of those players. They know Gardner can run the playbook and give them, you know, whether it's a couple weeks early in the season if they need that. So – I would bet on Anthony starting early, but I don't. I don't think it's a slam dunk.
1: Gotcha. Thank you. Yeah, Nate. Really interesting stuff on a really interesting team. Hopefully, maybe for your sake, a more boring team this year. Although maybe mm-hmm. it's good when it's chaotic you know, for a
3: reporter. Uh, maybe for a, a year for them over last year for sure.
1: It's, it's probably fun for a year, maybe. But yeah, really, really good stuff from Nate Atkins of the Indianapolis Star. You can find him on Twitter at Nate Atkins underscore. Nate, we know it's kind of the dead time right now. Probably, thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Uh, anything you've got coming up before training camp? Uh, anything you want to promote?
3: Yeah, I'm about to just go on vacation here for like a month. So uh, <laughs> I don't really have anything to promote. I just I figured I'd get out of here uh, with, with this appearance today and then just kind of unplug and get ready for what's going to be just a kind of a crazy, crazy summer tracking Anthony Richardson. And that's probably the one thing is that like – you know, my, I, I've been waiting for this. I've been on this beat only a year and a half, but other people have waited since, you know, since Andrew Luck hung it up to have this kind of young player to track on a day-to-day basis. So right as we get into training camp, everything Anthony does, good and bad, you know, we'll be tracking, and, and that's probably what you should look out for.
1: Well, we are very, very happy to usher you into the summer and vacation. I uh, hope you rest up. We know it's a very, very long season. Uh, thank you so much for coming by and dropping your knowledge on us.
3: Yep, thanks for having me. Thanks, Nate. See you,
1: Nate. I um, want to say so? thank you so much to Mr. Nate Atkins, to Mr. John Shipley, to Mr. Denny Carter, sharing his knowledge on the Titans and Texans. So much. Knowledge. Um, we've got a, a solid 65 here, so it's time to wrap That's it up. Nice. Um, for Denny, for John Shipley, for Nate Atkins, I'm Patrick Darty. Thank you for listening. We'll be back later this week on Thursday.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed?